Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 9. And we're going to get to just really one verse in the book of Acts to kind of start us off in just a moment here. And uh, so I encourage you to turn there with me. Um, I do want to let you know as well, uh, I forgot to announce this, but many of you know, uh, we are partnering with the Lapeer, or the Pregnancy Center of Lapeer. And so out at the Welcome Center, there are some baby bottles. And what you can do is you can pick one of these up. Um, I believe the 28th they're due, if I'm thinking right. Um, So we've got two more weeks of this. And so some have already come back in. So that's really, really cool. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, But what you do is you pick up one of these baby bottles and you fill it with either change. uh, You can put paper money in there. You can stick a check in there. You can do whatever you feel led to do uh, in that regard. Uh, But all the money that's raised from the baby bottle drive goes to the presence center of here. And that helps them in their ministry to partner with young moms, new moms, uh, maybe women that are unsure what the next steps are going to be. They don't know what their resources are. Uh, They're debating some very serious choices about how to move forward with their pregnancy. And so the Pregnancy Center of Lapeer does a tremendous job equipping them with the knowledge and resources they can make an educated and wise choice. And so I am so thankful for that ministry there. But we have been doing this now again for a couple of weeks. Uh, Some have already come back in. If you have taken one and you just still have it at home sitting on the dresser or the nightstand, please fill that. If you're back at work and you can take this to your office and maybe set it on your desk and let people kind of know what you're doing, maybe even get some some office friends or people, co-workers together to do this, Uh, maybe as a family you want to do this and just have the kids get involved. And I love it when we can encourage the kids to partake in these things and they can take some money out of their little piggy banks and put it in here and they can know that they're giving to a great ministry. And so if you have not taken one yet, please do that today. I don't know how many are left, but I'm really praying that after this morning, they'll all be gone and we'll start seeing them come back in next week. And so if you have not grabbed one, please make sure to do that. Uh, This morning, uh, many of you may be wondering, Maybe you didn't sleep last night because you were thinking about this morning, and you were wondering, um, and actually last week after, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're like, L word, what are we talking about here? Uh, You have to just kind of go back and listen to the previous messages, which you can do online. But um, after last Sunday, we were driving home, and uh, Anthony in the backseat was like, Dad, I got one for you. I got one for you. And I was like, Ah, bud, I'm sorry. We're actually, we're done with that series, and so we're not going to do that this morning. Um, But I appreciated the effort that he was still wanting to be a part of that series. And uh, we wrapped up last week our One Life series. And so we did four weeks talking about this one life. And the whole premise of the series was that we've been given one life. You've not given more than one, one life. And what you do with that one life is, is vital to how you will spend eternity. What decision you make about Jesus Christ will directly affect where you will spend eternity. And so we talked about that one life, and it's a short life, right? We said that in reality, life is short. Uh, we talked about one life to live, one life to love, right? One life to learn. Um, and, and so we talked about all these different aspects of the one life that we live. And I was praying this week over where do we want to go from here? What's a good way to kind of follow up that that message, and I was thinking about three questions that we can ask ourselves and how we live this life for his glory. And to set the stage for all of this, uh, I want to kind of look at just really one verse in Acts chapter 9, and it kind of sets the stage for where we're going to go this morning. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Now, many of you know, uh, Acts chapter 9 is the story uh, recorded for us of the conversion of Saul of Tarshish, who is becoming, in this text, Paul, 
the missionary for Christ. He went from persecuting the church to being the greatest missionary for the church. He went from kind of arresting Christians and condemning Christians to proclaiming the message of Christ. Now, many of you know this. The Apostle Paul will begin a journey of missionary trips that will literally shape the world. It changes the world as we know it. Uh, we read in later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we read about a, a woman named Lydia. And this woman, Lydia, who comes to Christ, is the first known convert in Europe for the European continent. And so amazing things are taking place through the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, he did tremendous miracles and works for God. Uh, he went places that nobody else wanted to go. He established churches where nobody would have went to plant a church. And he does this great work, these great ministries, he went from being this great persecutor to the greatest Christian missionary we've ever read of. He records a third of the New Testament. He writes a third of the New Testament. A great man of God. And I want to look at, maybe in my mind, why he was used by God so greatly. Now, we know God had a purpose and a plan for him. But the reality is God has a purpose and a plan for you. Let me ask you a question real quick. You can raise your hand because I'm sure you won't be alone. Has anyone here in their life ever felt purposeless? Like you weren't sure what was next. Anyone ever been there? different point in your life. Okay, we've all been there at times. We thought it was going to be this, and it wasn't that. It was this over here, and we weren't sure what was going on. But I want to look at a, a mindset that the Apostle Paul had that I believe directly impacted why he was used by God so greatly. Uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 6 says here, and he trembling and astonished, this being Saul, who's going to become or becomes Paul, says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The key in this text, the key in the conversion of the Apostle Paul, when he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and repented and turned to Christ, the moment of change wasn't just spiritual, it was in this life as well physically. He says in verse 6, Trembling and astonished, those are two amazingly powerful words. He was trembling before the presence of God, and he was astonished at the presence of God. He's in awe. And when I see this combination of these two moments in his life, he was just literally in awe of the presence of God. He was shook by the presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there's, I'll be honest, there's only been a few times I've actually trembled before God. One of which was when I came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I realized my sin has earned me the weight of hell but Christ has died on the cross for me, as we just sang about, and death was arrested when he rose again. Sealing the eternal security for all believers to come. Trembling and astonished. Here's what the first thing that Paul says in response. Lord, what will thou have me to do? I know Jeff already prayed, but let's pray and ask God to seal these things in our heart this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that we would hear what you have for us this morning. I pray that we would identify and relate, but also emulate what the Apostle Paul is going through in this passage. I pray that we would have the same mindset. And I pray that you would speak through us as we open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we don't have to convince you or beg you or, or talk you into working this morning. I believe that when the Word of God is presented and preached, that you are working freely among our hearts and minds. And so I pray for the believers this morning, those that know Christ as their Savior, that if they are in a place of apathy or just a place of just living life, Lord, that they would be shaken from that and realize you have a purpose and a plan for them, that it starts with you and then it works down from there. But Lord, I also just want to lift up if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ. 
pray that they would come to know that they are loved beyond measure, that their sin has earned them a consequence, a weight, a payment in eternity in a place called hell. But your grace has offered a ransom. Your grace has offered a way for them to be forgiven and redeemed and made new and whole and find heaven their home for eternity. And I pray that you would affirm these things in their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us of sin and righteousness, that we would decide freely to do what you're leading us to do. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that death was arrested. Thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we deserved it or earned it, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can never put into words, I, we can never be grateful enough for that reality. I pray that it would never become old to us, but it would constantly be before us that we would know the weight of our sin, but also the power of your grace, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I pray that we'd glorify you for it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you hear in the Apostle Paul's words to the Lord here? What, what, what strikes you in this verse? To me, what strikes me is the bold submission of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says boldly, without any exceptions, no reservations, where does he say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because here's what I'm willing to do. You ever, I mean, can we be real for a second? You ever pray that way? Maybe not audibly. You didn't say the words, but in your heart you were praying, oh, Lord, I'll go wherever you want as long as it's here, 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 or here. And as long as I can make this much money doing this, 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 or this. But other than that, Lord, you have complete freedom to lead, guide, and direct. Your will be done, not my own. We give these lists of expectations and things to God, and we say, God, I want you to use me, but as long as it looks like this, and I'm guilty of it too. Paul doesn't say any of that. He just says, hey, I acknowledge you as Lord. By the way, if Jesus showed up and spoke to you and a light blinded you and knocked you to the ground, I hope this is your response. I hope that you go, hmm, this is interesting. Maybe I need to acknowledge this a little bit. He falls to the ground. He says, Lord, what will you want me to do? Man, is that our hearts this morning? Is that your life beat today? Is that how you live your life? Is it, Lord, what do you want me to do today, this moment? Or have we scheduled ourselves into just such a rut that, man, God's got no room to work? Nothing wrong with schedules and planning. Nothing wrong with organizing your time. I'm all for it. It's good to plan your time and to have goals and all of that. But we better be careful to make sure we're leaving time to say, but Lord, this is my plan for today. I believe you're in it. I believe you're okay with this. But you go ahead and change whatever you need to change today. Lord, you need to intervene. You intervene because I want to follow you today. Paul's submission before the Lord is powerful, bold, with no except, exceptions, no no desire for it to be this or that. And let's be honest for a second. Isn't that the Apostle Paul's whole ministry? He's just constantly like, okay, Lord, I'll go there. Okay, I'll go there. Okay, I'll go there. And he was just so willing to go wherever and do whatever God called him to do. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is God calling us to do? What is God calling you to do? We have one life. We've been given one life, and we're on a journey in this life. We talked about it already. This life is for his glory and his purpose, first and foremost. So what is that purpose for you? What is that purpose for me? What is it that God is calling us to do? God has given us his word and his spirit through Christ, which the first thing we're going to look at this morning, it keeps our life on course. 
It keeps our life on course. Kind of, again, following up to this last series of One Life, we need to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to keep our life on course. So I want to encourage you this morning, write this down if you need to, and maybe some of us do. Let the Spirit of God be your GPS. Let the Spirit of God be your GPS. I went to, uh, this last week, I had a couple appointments for my stepdad in Saginaw. We've had to go to Saginaw, Pigeon. Um, I don't know if it's a game that they think is funny. Like, let's try to send this guy to as many doctors in as many locations as possible. I don't know if that's something that behind the scenes they think this is really funny, but uh, I wasn't getting the humor in it. So we were driving, I feel like we're driving everywhere in the thumb. And so we were in Saginaw. Well, I don't know Saginaw very well, okay? I don't know all the roads and all this. And so I have something on my phone that helps me with this. How many of you guys are thankful for GPS? Raise your hand. How many of you use GPS on a device or whatever regularly, often? Okay, a few of us. How many of you guys remember MapQuest? Remember MapQuest? You know what was great about MapQuest? You'd print out a map, all these directions, and then you get to where you're supposed to go, and guess what? Construction. That wasn't on the paper because the paper didn't update in time. And I love GPS because what's the beauty of GPS? I put in a destination. I put out where I'm at. They say, hey, here's three different ways to get there. You pick the way you want to go, Right? And it's turn by turn. So when I'm coming up, guess what it's telling me? In two miles, turn right. In one mile, turn right. In 500 feet, whatever it is, okay? You can even change the voice. Isn't that cool? Like, you can have it like Australian or whatever, I think. I've heard people say that. I I don't know if I'd want that, but that'd be annoying, okay? But you know what the wonder about GPS is? Here's the cool thing about it. I put in my destination, right? And it's telling me where to go. And I put my phone down. My stepdad, who's not very tech-savvy, Okay? He doesn't even own a computer. He doesn't own a cell phone. Okay? Well, I take that back. He owns cell phones. Um, he would do like the track phones. You know, you go to Walmart, you buy a phone, put minutes on it. He would never use up all the minutes because he doesn't really call anybody except for like us pretty much and some other family. And so the minutes would run out. The phone would die. Rather than go put the phone, you know, minutes back on the phone, he just throws it in a drawer. Then he goes to Walmart a couple, maybe a month later and goes, I'll grab another one. Buys another one. He's got probably 20 track phones. And I can tell him, you know, you can put minutes back on here. Oh, I, I'm not going to deal with all that. I just buy another one. <laughs> They're only 20 bucks or whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay, you got like a billion dollars in a drawer somewhere, okay? But as I was set my GPS and I put it down and it started talking to me, you know? I'm not kidding you. Some of you are like, there's no way he's like this. You just have to meet him, okay? He's an amazing guy, but he's just different. I love him. It started talking to me. He goes, what was that? I was like, come on. It's my GPS. He's like, what? I said, my phone, I put in where I want to go. He's like, oh, that's cool. That's neat. I never, that's awesome. But you know what's great about GPS? What happens when you make a wrong turn or you miss an exit? That little voice says what? Recalculating. You know what I love about GPS? And I, I want you to catch this illustration because I think we need to understand this for our own lives spiritually. When you make a wrong turn or you miss the exit or whatever, your GPS doesn't insult you, doesn't yell at you, doesn't say, what are you doing? You missed it. No. In a very calm, almost endearing voice, this little voice says, recalculating. And every time it happens, you almost, I don't know what you, I'm tempted. It's so nice the way she says it. I'm almost, I have it sitting down there. I'm almost like, want to be like, Thanks. Man, I really blew it. Sorry. Thanks for helping me out here. I appreciate that. You just feel like obligated to thank the GPS because it's working with you. But isn't it amazing how 
you can recalculate your destination, your, how you're going to get there, or recalculate your, your, how you're going to get to the destination, and you still get there. You're still going to get there, right? It might take you a little longer because you missed whatever road. You got to turn around or kind of loop around or go this other side street. But the beauty of recalculating is, is the GPS is telling you, hey, listen, man, I know you blew it. We all make mistakes. But you're st- I'm still going to get you where you got to go. might take a little longer. might have some different turns that you didn't see coming. It's not going to be quite as smooth a road as what originally was planned, but you're going to get there. Let me ask you a question this morning. Isn't that how God is with us and his Holy Spirit through his word? Man, you ever make a wrong turn in your life? You ever get off course and you get into God's word, you realize you're, you're, you're not going where you need to go. You're not, not on the same road you should be on. You don't even know maybe where you're at. And you're just kind of lost. And you kind of just turn your heart to God and you say, God, I'm so sorry. I got turned around somewhere. I don't even know what happened. And would you just get me back on course? And God's Holy Spirit doesn't insult you, doesn't yell at you, doesn't condemn you for getting turned around, as only the Spirit of God can do. In a firm, right? I mean, it's firm. It's not like this very soft-spoken sometimes. It is a firm voice at times that God speaks to us with. But the Holy Spirit just says, recalculating. I'll still get you there. I'm going to get you where you got to go. But you know what? It's going to take maybe a little longer. It might be a little bit bumpier of a road, but we're going to still get to where we're going. By God's grace and by his word, when we realize we have gotten off course and open our hearts and ears to the spirit, he will recalculate our journey. But the beauty is we are still going to get there. You're still going to get there. When you have to recalculate your life, the spirit of God begins to recalculate, you will still get to your destination. It just may take longer. Our spiritual life is that way as well. And praise God it is. Praise God that it is that way. Because we are sealed by the Spirit of God for eternity, saved by grace and not of ourselves, and kept by grace, we will arrive one day before the Lord and be with him. You realize you cannot, in Christ, if you receive Christ as your Savior, you cannot make a wrong turn that will not be recalculated and you will still end up before your Savior. Our destination is set. It cannot be changed because the promise of God does not change. However, in this life, we may get turned around, miss the opportunity, choose self and sin over the Spirit's leading. And when we do, we must stop. Hear me now. If you realize you're traveling in the wrong direction, you don't just keep driving. But so many of us do. We tell ourselves lies like I've gone too far. Oh, God can't use me now. I've blown it. I've made too many mistakes. God's grace couldn't forgive. And we keep driving, meanwhile, in the wrong direction. And we're quieting and quenching that voice that's trying to say, I'm recalculating this thing. Give me a minute. Give me your attention. No, when you realize you're going the wrong direction, you pull over, right? You wait a minute. You let your GPS get a little caught up to where you are, and then you look at it. It says turning you all around. And the arrow's spinning because it's trying to figure out where you are. You just wait. And in that calmness, you just say, Lord, I'm sorry I got turned around. Would you direct me? And the next thing you know, that little voice says, recalculating. Okay, now you need to go this way. So if you realize you're going the wrong direction, the first thing you do is stop. 
You pull over. You take a minute. You take a breather. You spend a moment in prayer spiritually using this illustration. And then we listen to God's directions. Now, I'm always amazed in my own life how many times if I would have just listened to this book, how I wouldn't have got off course. Anyone else there? Anyone else can relate to that? Just a couple? Okay. The rest of you got it all figured out? That's awesome. I'm jealous. You ever realize, man, you've ever been reading a passage and you go, oh, man, Papa, you just, it, it says it right here. Let me tell you something. You want, a, you want a healthy marriage? By the way, happy isn't the goal of marriage. Happiness is never the goal of marriage. Happiness comes and goes. It's circumstantial. The joy of the Lord is forever. You want a healthy, Christ-centered marriage? It's in here. You might say, well, not every single thing is spelled out. Well, no. It doesn't say what to do when your spouse is driving you crazy because you've asked them 15 times, where do you want to eat? And they keep saying, I don't know. And then you suggest something, and they say, not there. That's totally a hypothetical situation. That is not real life. <laughs> totally hypothetical. I've never experienced, I've heard stories about people. And there's principles in there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Francis Chan said it best, and I've referenced this so many times because it's the most clear way I can think about it. Husbands, the longer your wife is married to you, the more she should feel like she's married to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. I'll be the first man in the room that's married to say, I've not arrived at that destination. But see, these are the things, like the Bible lays these things out, and they're, they're clear. We don't have to muddle through these things and, oh, I just can't figure it out. No. How can I say this nicely? Sometimes we don't know because we don't want to know. We don't want to know. So we go, well, I didn't know. Did you know or did you not know? And you just don't want to know. Man, we need to dive into this book so we can keep our life by God's grace where it needs to be. But here's the beauty of it. When we miss it, when we blow it, he doesn't insult us or yell at us or condemn us. He just says, recalculating. Let's get this thing back on course. Because your destination for eternity is set in the finished work of the cross. Nothing can just change your destination. To help all of us maybe stay on course or for some of us get back on course, I want to kind of share three questions that will keep our minds and hearts fixed on the right focus. Like an expressway, we have to make a choice as to what direction we want to go. Every day we have opportunities in this life to choose. Am I going to take this exit or that exit? And then when we make that choice, now we're liable for the consequences that come with that choice, and then God has to either keep us on that path, if it's his way, or change our course, change our direction. But we're always praying, God, give me wisdom in this. And so I want to go over to Luke chapter 9. And we've referenced this passage before over the years in various settings and contexts, but I love the direct nature at which Christ speaks of these things. Because again, I want us to see the balance here. Yes, the Spirit of God, when we need grace and mercy for redirection in life, He gives that to us. And He doesn't condemn us and yell at us and, and convict us. Or He does convict us, but He doesn't jump all over us and insult us. That conviction He brings is stern, but loving and gracious. But I want us to see also that Jesus tells us before we ever make that wrong turn how to stay on, on course and how to stay focused. I've said it before. I've heard it said by many that 
if you look at the Gospels, if you started underlining and highlighting the things that Jesus said that were loving, kind of mushy statements and comments, what we kind of call like lovey-dovey stuff, and then you highlight or underline the more stern things of Christ, the stern warnings and the, the, the harsh, seemingly harsh words of Christ greatly outweigh what we would call the lovey-dovey stuff. And why is that? Because he's trying to warn us by the power of God to make the decision or make the right decision first before we go down the wrong path. So Luke chapter 9 and verses 57 through 62. We're going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to give you these three questions that I think, that I pray, will help you to stay on course. So verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. Thank you for bringing your Bibles today, by the way. And if you don't have one, please see someone at the Welcome Center following service today. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word that you can take home with you. And so Luke 9 and verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever or what, where so, whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Verse 59. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. If you can read that passage and not go, What did he just say? You've read that passage, you've, you've hyper spiritualized that passage way too many times. That's not the Jesus we picture. That's not the Sunday school of Jesus with the long flowing brown hair, the blue eyes, and the pale skin that glowed everywhere he went. That's not the Jesus you just read. It's real and it's genuine and it even seems harsh. And the first question we think is man, who is Jesus to even talk to these people this way? How dare he say that to them? Because he's God and he has the authority over them, they're his creation. But I want to break this down. I want to give us three questions we see right from really this story, this passage in Scripture. The first question we have to ask ourselves to stay on course is, will we choose comfort or the cross? Will we choose comfort or the cross? Verses 57 and 58, someone says that they will follow Jesus wherever he goes. Let me just ask you real quick. Let's make this personal. Don't raise your hand. You ever said that to Jesus in your Christian walk? You ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I'll go wherever, do whatever. I'll go wherever you want to go. And then he begins to lead you somewhere you really don't want to go. And you go, well, I didn't really mean this, Lord. This man says, I'll go wherever. What does Jesus say to this individual? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus tells this man, who if you want to write it down, we see the same uh, paralleled in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19. Uh, he is a scribe, according to Matthew 8, 19 who is interested in following him, that if he follows him, what does Jesus say? There is no guarantee he will have a roof over his head. Do you see that? This is not something Jesus told a mature believer. This is not something that Jesus tells someone who's been saved for a long time or a follower of Christ for a long period of time. This is something he told a, a curious seeker, one that has not yet become a follower of Christ, and Jesus is real, and warns him that the road of following Christ is not marked with comfort. 
And this flies right in the face of all this prosperity junk we're hearing nowadays. I'm going to tell you right now, if you listen to a preacher that tells you that if you pray a certain way and have enough faith, all your needs will be met, you'll never have want, you'll never get sick, you'll always have money, you need to turn that voice off in your life. Because that is not the gospel. Man, it'll pack a church. It'll sell some seats. I'm not going to, somebody actually suggested today that we should, you know, because churches are restricting, you know, how many people can come to a service. They have to like, if they're a mega church, they have to call ahead and reserve a seat. Someone said we should be selling tickets. I was like, it's not a bad idea. Make a little money on the side, you know. And then, of course, the person said, well, for the glory of God, of course. Ah, Of course, of course, for the glory of God. Amen and amen. Man, it'll, it'll preach in our world today. Oh, just, just speak it and receive it, and you can have it. Just say, I'm a millionaire, believing you're a millionaire, and God will make you a millionaire. There's only one small problem with that. It's not in here. Cover to cover, it's not in here. Well, no, God will bless you. He says, if you ask in his name, he'll give it to you. Uh, you need to read the whole context. He says, if you ask in my name according to my will. James says, if you ask to consume it upon your own lust, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to give you that. See, this reality, Jesus, the first thing he tells someone that's like, hey, I want to follow Jesus. If we hear somebody say that, we're like, yeah, great, awesome. Say this prayer, right? Sign this card. Join this church. Hey, teach a class. All good stuff, by the way. It's fine to do those things. But we just kind of flake, oh, okay, that's great. Yeah, just get you in. Let's get you in. Let's get you signed up before you change your mind. Oh, it's going to be great. No, God loves you, and he does love you. But it's going to be, man, it's going to be blessings. And, God... and there's going to be blessings, but there's also going to be sufferings. There's going to be trials and great joys. I've always loved this. The first thing Jesus tells this curious seeker is, hey, that's great you want to follow me, but I can't guarantee you we'll have a place to sleep tonight that will have a roof over it. And the the text seems to suggest this guy was like, I'm out. I'm out. The Son of God doesn't even have a place to lay his head. You know, we always say that, right? We should be content with food, clothing, and a place to, a roof over our head. You know, it's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible says, be content with food in your stomach and clothes on your back. With those things, you'll be content in Christ. It doesn't say how much food. It doesn't say how many wardrobe outfits you have. It says clothing and some food in your belly. The Apostle Paul says it this way, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whether I'm starving, I'm so hungry, or whether I'm stuffed because I'm so full, I've learned it doesn't matter. I'm content in Christ. Are we choosing comfort or the cross? Earlier in this same gospel, we read the famous words of Christ when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, when we think of the cross, what do we think of? Like, you can answer. What comes to your mind when you think of the cross? I feel like we can have a little engagement here this morning. I think it's okay. What do you think of when you think of the cross? Suffering. Suffering. Sorry? Okay, payment, right? It was the payment for our sin. Would you think it's fair to say that we, as a, as, as a culture, a church culture, we, we revere the cross? Do you think that's a fair statement? That we kind of hold the cross in high esteem? Why do we hold the cross in high esteem? Because we know what it brought for us, the payment of our salvation. We know what it is. And so what do we do with crosses in our culture today? This is true not even just in Christian culture, but in the world today. We put them on chains, right? And we hang them on our necks. 
You ever walk in somebody's home and see a cross up on the wall? And we have a cross right there. And we, we put it up in our homes. We, we use it as decoration. We, we get it tattooed on our body, right? We, we talk about the cross. And so when we read these words in Luke, when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, we think with this revered statement. Do you know that's not what they thought in the first century? Do you know when Jesus said that, that wasn't like an appealing statement to them? I heard one author say it this way. The only thing you can think of is imagine wearing an electric chair, a little tiny electric chair around your, around your neck. Imagine going to someone's home and above the dinner table, there's a, a miniature electric chair up on the wall. By the way, if that's your home, they're not coming back. That's the last dinner those people will have at your house because they're like, they're nuts. But that's what the, the cross was seen in the first century as an instrument of torture, of capital punishment. It was not revered. We think, oh, I'll pick up my cross, Lord. And then we make our cross something silly. Like, oh, everyone's got a cross to bear. I guess this is mine. Do you know what Jesus meant when he said, pick up your cross and follow me? He meant be willing to die at any given moment for the sake of Christ. That's what he meant. In our culture, we don't see it that way. In the first century church, they would have seen it that way. Are we choosing comfort or the cross? Now, I'm not saying our life won't have times of comfort. Obviously, we in this room right now, by the way, we're all very comfortable. We have things like air conditioning, which we don't need because it's Michigan. So it's 1,000 degrees yesterday, 60 today, right? We have comfortable chairs. Some of you are like, I've been sitting in it a little too long, but it's comfortable. We have a beautiful building. Like, we don't have to worry about the, the elements. We don't have to worry about if it rains or if it snows, which, again, could happen in Michigan at any given moment. We've got this beautiful building to protect us. I mean, it was so funny. We were talking in the van, and somebody said something about, I don't know how to talk about, like, money, about being rich or something. And, and I think it was Anthony was joking around about, like, you know, basically making a joke like we're poor. And I was like, that's ministry. No, uh, <laughs> kidding, kidding. We're not poor. I'm joking. Well, we were making jokes about something, and, I, and Sandra said, you know, actually, we're be, just because we're Americans, we're in like the top 3% of the world as far as financially. Let that sink in for just, just a second. Do you know that, that, that we spend more on Christmas than like two-thirds of the world makes in a year? A few years ago, I did a little research. The average American, this is a, probably about, Five, six years ago, the average American spent like $730 on average on Christmas alone. That's gifts, food, traveling, whatever. The average American spent $730, $750 on Christmas. Two-thirds of the world makes less than that in a year at their job. And you can start to, you know, say, well, it's because of this or this or this. That's not the point. The point is what? The point is, man, we are so blessed. We have comfort everywhere. You know our greatest temptation, our greatest sin weakness in this country is comfort. We're so tempted to be comfortable. And we have to force ourselves and, and dare to say, no, I'm not going to choose comfort. I'm going to choose the cross. And if God calls me, I'm going to go, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's inconvenient. So the first question is, will we choose comfort or the cross? The second question we see here to keep our minds sober and on the right things is, will we settle for maintenance or sacrifice for the mission? Will we settle for maintenance or sacrifice for the mission? Verses 59 through 60 of Luke 9. 
And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. This is, this is a tough one for us. The church today can fall into a trap of maintaining the comfort and status quo in the church and forget that there is a mission field that needs to be reached. Churches invest countless amounts of energy and finances in keeping Christians happy and content so they won't leave and go to a different church with this or that better program. Meanwhile, our calling as the followers of Christ has not changed. Jesus, again, tells a man who apparently some scribes and scholars, they debate a little bit about this as to whether or not this person, this father, was going to die and was like kind of approaching that or actually died. They don't, we don't really know, but it seems to be one of those two things. And this man basically says, as a son, his obligation would be to go and prepare the funeral arrangements and to make arrangements for things. Now, it sounds harsh, but what Jesus is saying is those obligations to take care of that pale in comparison to what I'm calling you to do. That's what Jesus' point is. Jesus is not being, like, not merciful to this guy who lost a father. What he's saying is, listen, those obligations are needed in our culture. I understand that. But what I'm calling you to do is so much more important than that. This is where Jesus says, your love for your family in comparison to your love for Christ should look like you hate them. He's not actually saying hate your family. He's saying the love you have for Christ should be so great that when people look at your life, they go, man, he kind of loves his family, but he really loves Jesus because, man, he's willing to do whatever Jesus says anytime. You see the point Jesus is making there? He's not saying don't love your family. Remember, the Bible says you're supposed to love and care for your family. But the point is we should love Christ more. We should see the mission he's given us to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as the most important thing we can do with our time and with our energies. So what is the mission that he says to this man is more important than the obligations he has for his family? Look at the verse. It says it. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus says this is the vital mission Because without the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his gospel, people will live and die in their sin, facing the eternal weight for their sin. The truth is we're all called to be missionaries. That's the point of this. So are we going to settle for maintenance, just coming to church and get our needs met? Right? Just have something for everything that I want. Make it comfortable, short, convenient, quick. Preach what I want you to preach. Do the music I like you to do. Just make it all about me. I want to be maintained. I just want to keep the status quo. Or are we going to say, no, 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 I'm willing to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed for the mission of Christ because I'm first a missionary. Missions takes many forms. Many of you know this. There are traditional missionaries which are going to usually developed countries and church planning or things of that nature. There are tribal missions going to unreached people groups in remote areas, translating the Bible into languages that they have to actually develop And I've always thought about that as an amazing thing. You go to this people group, there's no written language of this language. You can't read it anywhere. So you have to just live among the people for, they say, usually 20 years at least. Then you can begin to understand the language enough to start to do translation work. 
You develop a written language for these people so that you can translate the Bible into that language. There are also various ways that you can use your gifts and talents to impact the mission field without even leaving this country. You can make a huge impact in missions without even leaving this country using the gifts and talents that God has given you. And so what I want to do this morning is, I know our time's running short, but I want to show you just a quick little two or three minute video. This is from Ethnos 360, a missions agency that we work with, we've partnered with for decades. They were New Tribes Missions. But I want you to listen to this story, and I want you to ask yourself, as a young person here, I love that we have our junior church class in here, by the way. Because here's the lie that we believe. I'll serve Christ when I get older. No, you can serve Christ right now in your area of influence. I don't care if you're 8, 9, if you're 17, 18. You can serve Christ right now where you are. I don't care if you're 26 or 86. You can serve Christ right now where you are. And so I want you to hear this story about how this man had to make a choice of how he was going to impact the mission field. And I, I love this journey that he goes on. And so, so check this out. For years, Stephen dreamed about the adventure-filled life of a cross-cultural church planter. Give me a Bible and a machete, and I'm going to go save some souls, Stephen Narwald said. But during his missionary training at Ethnos 360, his impressive web development skills came to light. He was invited to join the team at Ethnos 360's home office instead of heading to a remote people group. He said, that was a crushing blow to my picture of what a cool missionary is. Who cares about someone sitting behind a desk working on websites when there are people out there who have never heard the gospel? Now Stephen had a difficult choice. Follow his dream and become a missionary in Brazil or serve as a web programmer at the mission's home office in Florida. Everyone he consulted recommended he take the role of web developer, which was not what he wanted to hear. Then he asked Lisa. Lisa Kapala is a Bible translator to the Uriai people of Papua New Guinea who desperately needed co-workers. If anyone understood the need for cross-cultural missionaries, it was Lisa. But she advised Stephen that his skills were needed at the home office. For Stephen, this was an incredibly impactful testimony to the need and validity of his ministry. Lisa knew that both roles were critical to the team. Stephen finished his training with Ethnos 360 and joined the church planting team at the home office. Instead of hacking through the jungle with a machete, Stephen digs into computer problems every day. He uses his skills in web development to help people engage with missions. Reaching the lost takes more than a Bible and a machete. It takes a team. Find out where your skills can be used with Ethnos 360. Ethnos 360. A thriving church for every people. Well, I thought that was pretty cool. I love that this guy, he had his plan, right? I'm, I'm going to school to be a missionary. And in his mind, that meant this. 
I'm going to go. Could you imagine living in some of those areas, by the way? It would just be crazy to me. But he wanted to do that. And it was in that journey that God began to put people in his life to say, no, this is really what you need to do. Could you imagine that weight? And I really thought this is what I was going to do. And now I'm being called to do this. And for that woman in that tribe to say, man, we really need workers, but, but they need you more than I do. And I just wanted to share that this morning because I want us to start thinking about what God's plan is for our life, maybe differently than we thought about it before when we walked in this morning. That maybe God has something in mind for you, and all you have to do is be willing to say, I'll go. Now, I love so many of our missionaries, what they do. I so appreciate the various fields represented in our uh, 11 missionaries that we support. But I love that, that this individual is willing to say, man, I'll do whatever's needed. I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. So as a young adult or even a child or an older adult today, I want to encourage you, don't just do what the world says you should do with your life. Don't just choose this or that career because it will, quote, make you the most financially secure. Don't just choose a career path because it's the easiest career path for you. Don't just choose a career path or a life path because it's what someone else thinks you necessarily should do. I pray that your first choice would be to say, God, what is it you would have me to do with my life? And then you would say, okay, now what gifts and talents have you given me to accomplish those things in my life? And then you seek counsel from those that are connected into God's word and say, okay, what do you think is something I can do? This opportunity opened up, what do you think? And are we asking those questions? I want to let you know if you're at all interested in, maybe you were watching that video and you're like, man, I could do that. And I could, I could go on those trips. That would be awesome. You just felt something inside you saying, I want to reach those people for Christ. You see those faces? Man, every face is a soul that Christ died for. And maybe you're sitting and thinking, like, I can do that. I want to do that. Well, I want to let you know. I'm already kind of looking into. We've taken a, thing, a trip to a place called Wyumi, which is through Ethnos 360. It's in Pennsylvania. And we went with the youth group a couple years ago. We've gone, we went a couple years. You know, we'd go a year and then take a year off and go a year. It's been a couple years. They do this thing called an open weekend. And I'm already looking into October uh, if they're still going to be doing it with all this COVID stuff, which I think they will be. Um, I want to I go for a weekend in Wyumi again. It's been a couple years, and I love going. And one of the things I love about Wyumi is you get to hear from missionaries that aren't your normal missionaries, construction workers, people that did nothing but sit in an office and, and take care of finances and accounting for the missionaries. I mean, there's so many parts that go into putting a translator in the middle of a jungle so that they can focus on all their time on Bible translation and planning a church. There's, there's so many needs. There's specifically needs in areas of like helicopter pilots, pilots that can fly in to these remote areas and do these great works. And so whatever your gift and talent is, maybe you're like, well, I'm not really a construction worker. I love numbers. Man, they could use an accountant. Whatever it is, God is leading you and ask those questions. And so we're going to make that trip in Wyumi, and I, to Wyumi in October, and I pray that maybe you'd start now to say, you know what, I'm going. This is open for families. Uh, all the way down. Uh, there was families there with little kids, teens, older adults were there. It was no age limit. You know, one of the things I want to I wanna share just real quick too, I know we're almost out of time. <laughs> we're out of time. But what's time really? Um, it's all relative anyway, right? Says the person not with something in a crock pot. So, um, but I remember when we took these trips to Wyumi, 
the first year we did it, it was a youth thing, teenager thing. And I got all the teens excited, you know, we took a group down there. Then I came back once I realized what it was, and I was like, man, we need to take our church to this. Like, our, our church needs to hear these things. And so I, the next time we went, I put it out, and I said, anybody can sign up. Any adults, if you want to go. Do you know I had so many older adults? And man, God bless them. Their heart was in the right place. They'd come to me and they'd say, you know what, I don't, I, I'm not going to go because I don't think that's really for me, but I'll pay for a student to go. That's great. Man, I really appreciate you sponsoring a, a teenager, but why do you think you can't go? <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm too old now. You know, there, through Ethnos, you hear a story about a family, a couple that were in their, I want to say mid-50s, when they felt the call to go to the mission field. Do you know almost every missions agency turned them down because they were, quote, too old? They actually told them, they said, you won't live long enough to make an impact because you need to live this long in the tribe or in the people group. And then they called out to new tribes. A new tribe says, yeah, you can start Monday. Let's go. Got them trained. Hundreds of people came to Christ in a tribe because these older people said, you know what, maybe I'm not too old. I don't know why we do that to ourselves. I'm too young. I'm too old. So what, you pick this magic age range and that's when you're usable to God? Man, God can use you right where you are right now. And so maybe you would plan today to say, I'm going to go to Wyumi and let that be the first start in missions. Last question. We have to finish. Last question. Will our lives be marked by indecisive mind, by an indecisive mind? Excuse me. Will our lives be marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? Will our lives be marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? Verses 61 through 62 of Luke 9. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, or which are at home in my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This last person in the passage comes to Christ wanting to follow Christ, but was torn because he wanted to tell his family goodbye. He wanted to go home and say farewell. Jesus responds with a farming example, a man plowing, but looking back. Now, I'm not a farmer, but if you're plowing a field and you start looking back, what's happening? You're crooked, okay? I, I, I try to plow straight and I end up crooked without even looking behind me. So I can't imagine if you're plowing along and you've got something calling to you. You get it? And you're looking back like, oh, man, I really wish I was there. Where is your attention at best, it's divided. At worst, it's not even on what you're doing for Christ. Jesus says, no, you need to be focused on this. Now, some say, well, that's pretty mean of Jesus. He, this guy couldn't go say goodbye to his family. That's not really what Jesus is saying here when you understand the, the greater context. There's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to your family. But if I'm torn and looking back, what's going to happen the longer I look back? Sooner or later, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go back. See, that's the issue Jesus pointed at, the heart of the individual. There's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to your family. Actually, this was, if you read it, Elisha's request in 1 Kings, if you're taking notes, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. 1 Kings, back in the Old Testament, two favorite prophets, Elijah and Elisha. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I wish one of them was Elijah and one was named Bill because that would just be easier but it's Elijah and Elisha. So Elisha requests of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21 to go back home. He does the exact same thing that this man does. Says the same 
I mean, not the exact same, but basically the same thing. Elijah grants this, allows Elisha to make this decision. But the point is, Elisha did follow Elijah. This man, seemingly, since Jesus knows our hearts, would not have followed and most likely stayed home. He would have went back home. And here's the scary thing, guys. Again, with with young kids in here, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, please hear this. So many kids get called to go to the mission field and they go home or ministry and they go home and they tell mom and dad and mom and dad are like, oh, that's great. Praise the Lord. But are you going to make any money in that? There's nothing really in that. I mean, there's no security in that. And I told you guys, when I felt called to be a pastor, I remember the counselor at the high school I went to said, well, is there money in that? Lots of people that said, do you have to go to school for that? That makes me feel good about my degree. You have to go to school to be that? Really? People used to ask Sandra, he can get married? Well, he's not a priest, okay? He's Baptist, okay? So it's a little bit of a difference, okay? But man, I've I've heard missionaries tell me, this one guy that was a recruiter said that he had a student that was so fired to go to the mission field, she went home and the parents said, no, 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 we've already committed to college. We've already committed to this and this scholarship. You're going to school because there's no money in that. These aren't unsaved heathen parents. These are Christian parents that are active in the church telling their child, well, no, 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 oh, it's, it's too dangerous to go to the mission field. It's too dangerous. Oh, you can't do that. And I think about this story right here where this guy wanted to go home, and Jesus, knowing his heart, maybe there was a chance that the parents or the family members of the community was going to say, really, you think you can do that? But we'd miss you. Don't you want to be home? Don't you want to stay here where it's comfortable? I want all of us to really evaluate these three questions for ourselves and allow God's word by God's spirit to recalculate our lives and get us back on course with his purpose if needed. Let's be about the mission of proclaiming the gospel for his glory and for his purpose. Will our lives be marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? Will we settle for maintenance or sacrifice for the mission? And will you choose comfort the cross. Let's pray. Father, as we spend this time in invitation this morning, responding to what you're doing in our lives, we pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts and minds to these three questions that you've laid before us, that we would choose the cross over comfort, that we would sacrifice for mission rather than settling for maintenance and just kind of keeping the status quo, and that we would realize, Lord, that our heart needs to be undivided but fully focused on you, Help us to not have an indecisive mind. The Bible says that a a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Help us to not be double-minded, but single-minded, to be focused on the point of this life, which is to make you known to the world around us, that your fame and your gospel would go forth. Help us to be guarded, Lord. Uh, Everyone in this room, myself included, we are constantly tempted to just give in to the comfort call, to the convenience Lord, I know that there are comforts we have in this world, in this country, that other countries, other worlds, or other people in this world don't have. And I know that it's okay to enjoy those things. Lord, it's okay to enjoy that we have vehicles that transport, planets, or transport us from, from home to church, and we can do that in air conditioning or comforts. There's nothing wrong with that. But I pray that when, when you call us to step out of that comfort, that we would step out. And I thank you, Lord, that when we step out and choose the cross and go down the road marked with suffering and trial at times in our life, 
that when we do that, you give us a comforter who will comfort us in that trial. You give us a peace that will pass all understanding. And so help us, Lord, to surrender to you. Father, I pray right now, if there's someone in this room, I don't care how old they are, boy or girl, financial status, I don't care how long they've been saved, but they have a passion for you and they want to make you known to the world. They feel the call of missions. I pray that you would, you would silence any voices that would discourage them from doing what you've called them to do, but you would encourage those around them to see what you're doing, to give godly wisdom and counsel. And timing, of course, is important, but that you would lead God and direct. Father, maybe there's somebody here right now that's in a career path that they see what they're doing and they go, you know what, man, God, you could really use this in this mission field. Maybe they'll make a change. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenges and all of that, of course. But, but I just ask, Lord, if there's somebody here that you're calling to ministry full-time, to missions, that they would stop fighting you and just surrender. Lord, lead, guide, and direct, whether it's missions here at home, in our neighborhoods and communities, or abroad. Whether the sacrifice looks like giving up a comfort, maybe giving a little more financially, or taking of our time, whatever it is, you just be the God of that. Lead God and direct, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? If you'd like to come and pray, please come and respond to what God is doing. You feel the call of missions on your life? Maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, affirm these things that I would follow you as we respond to him.